Happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. Let's pray, pray together, please. <sighs> Heavenly Creator, thank you for deciding that we're fit to come before your presence today. Thank you for loving us enough to welcome us into your home. We ask today that you would pour out a blessing upon us. You ask us that you would pour, ask that you would pour a blessing upon those that are here and that we would understand. We ask that you would pour a blessing upon me that I may speak your words and not my own. We ask that today we may see a message from you and not a message from Daniel. We thank you for everything you've done for us, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right. So I'm happy to be here. Happy Sabbath again. Um, I don't know many of you yet, but I hope to get to know you as I'm here for a while. Um, so let me tell you a little bit, of, little bit about myself. Sometimes I like to eat food. And I, I don't know, maybe you guys like to do the same thing sometimes. Maybe we can do it together sometime and get to know each other. Um, sometimes I, I like to laugh. Um, I don't know if, if you like to laugh. Maybe we could do it together sometime, you know, get to know each other. Sometimes um, I experience pain. Um, and I'm, if you're trying to experience pain with me, you're on your own because I'm not trying to experience any pain. But I do like to heal, and to do that, I, I pray. And I'd like to do that with you sometime too. So at the end of the service, I'll be the one smiling, looking confused that way. Um, just, just reach out to me and we'll exchange information and find a time to do that. Is that okay? Awesome. All right, so I grew up in the church. Um, I grew up in the church in London, England. Um, my dad is a pastor. My mother is a nurse. And um, in 2003, they decided that it was time for me to go to Oakwood, where they had been to school. And when they sent me there, my mother had hopes that I'd be a pastor but I had long decided that I had, didn't want anything to do with the church, and I didn't want to be a pastor. Um, so when they sent me to Oakwood in Alabama, which is far out of my parents' reach, I stopped going to church altogether. I started drinking and partying, and college was just a blur for me. But in 2012, I graduated yeah, and for those of you that are good at quick math, it took me nine years to graduate. I had a four-year degree. Don't judge me, please. You guys like to make people feel bad. It's okay. So when I graduated, um, my dad died of cancer. But before he did, I had the opportunities to go home and spend some time with him, spend the last few months of his life with him. And when I did that, he showed me a sermon. See, um, when I was a kid, they told me, rightly so, that I was hard of hearing. Is anyone here from the Caribbean? Well, in the Car Caribbean, parents tell their kids, if you can't hear, you must feel. I felt a lot. And, you know, my whole life, I remember my dad preaching sermons, but they never really spoke to me. And what really spoke to me was when I saw him live a sermon. Um, the sermon of his life that he showed was so impactful to me. It had me thinking about, you know, maybe coming back to church. So um, what put the cherry on top 
is that um, at his funeral, um, about around 3,000 people came to the funeral. And those 3,000 people, um, they came from all around the world. And on a Tuesday morning, they battled the undefeated London traffic. And I, I, if you think LA traffic is bad, you've never been to London. Um, and that told me that he had impacted each one of those people's lives in some kind of way for them to come and be there at the drop of a dime. And I realized that if I died that day, no one would show up to my funeral because what I was doing with my life wasn't impactful. Um, partying and drinking, all I was doing was giving people a hangover. It, I needed to do something that was more impactful to people's lives. So I considered ministry, but I couldn't do it just yet because I had just commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Air Force, and I was waiting my orders to go to Hanscom Air Force Base in Boston. So I went there, um, and I had a job as a project manager. Um, and I was, as I was doing so, the pastor at my local church reached out to me, and he offered me to serve as an elder and, and the youth leader. And as I was doing so, I loved it. It was, it was so invigorating for me. And I found that many of the practices in church were just inefficient. If I would have did many of those things at my job, I would be fired quickly. So I, I tried to change them. I tried to change them, and I received so much resistance from the people in church. The old discrepancies between me and church kind of came up again. So I didn't stop going because my wife can box really good and she told me I had to go. So um, I, I went, but I just, you know, kind of went into my Bible. I didn't pay attention. I just read my, read my Bible. And the things I read there were so amazing. They were so empowering for me. And I wondered, I wonder if everyone else can see this, see the same thing that I'm reading. And... The great thing is, is that the Bible, although it's a book, it's not written like every other book. The Bible is, well, other books are written with words. Um, the Bible is a book that's written to speak to you out of your experience. So the two of us, two of us may read the same Bible verse, and we will come to, this, come to different conclusions. Because we have different experiences, we have different passions, and God speaks to us in different ways. So that means that when we read and the Bible speaks to us out of our experience, we should share it with others. And I'm not saying that everyone should preach. Because to be honest, I think preaching is one of the most inefficient ways of sharing the gospel. The gospel is, is like a show and tell. It's meant to be shown more than it's told. And when you, when you show the gospel with your life, it's more impactful to other people around you. Because I don't know how many kids you guys have, but your kids are watching you. I don't know how many people are married, but your spouse is watching you. I don't know how many people have a job, but the people at your job are watching you. Your boss is watching you closely. You know, the people around you are watching you, and those people need to hear a sermon with your life. So um, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to share some of the messages that the Bible gave to me. Is that okay? So the Bible is a very, 
versatile book. It contains history books, poetry books, prophecy books, but the books that I like are the books that are very practical. Um, the book of James is a very practical book. If you would turn there with me to the, the chapter one, we'll read there together, or you could just look at the screen. Um, I love James because James, you know, he just seems to me like a blunt person. I'm a blunt person. I, I say what I think, and it gets me in trouble most of the time, but I get over it. Um, and James, the introduction of the verse says, yo, I'm James. And then it just continues into, into his point. So we'll start reading from verse 2. Do we all have it? Awesome. Okay. So let's read together. Shall we read together? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have its perfect work that ye may, may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and that braideth not, and it shall be given unto him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavereth, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea that's driven with wind and tossed. For let no man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as a follower, because as a flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth with the grass, and the flower that falleth, the flower thereof falleth, and therefore the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Well, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. How many of you want your crown? I, I, want, I want my crown. I know there's one fitted just for my funny shaped head in heaven. It's, it's going to be awesome. So, I love this verse because James talking to us, it feels like God is speaking directly to me. Because when I'm in a problematic situation, I have the tendency to complain. And immediately James says, stop that. I might find myself saying, why is this happening? This is happening for no reason. I don't deserve this. I've, worked, I've, I've, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. Why are these things happening to me? But James says, Let's go back to, back to the beginning of the verse. James says in verse 2 that these things ha- happen for the trying of your... The, your faith, patience is tried so that your faith can grow. The result of all the things that try your patience in life is the growth of your faith. Amen? And it's amazing to me that... Um, The purpose of all this in verse 4 says that God is doing all this because your faith is supposed to grow so that you'll you'll be entire, you'll be complete, you'll be wanting nothing. You'll be ready ready for the kingdom of heaven. Who who wants to go to the kingdom of heaven and and get their crown? And the the situations that try your patience are doing that. So when, when something is getting on your last nerve, you can praise God. Because God is performing a construction process in you to make sure you're ready for the kingdom of heaven. So, 
It continues to say, um, if any of you have wisdom, let him ask, ask of God that give to all men liberally. Now, when I'm doing a job, if I'm baking a cake, I need for all the ingredients to be on the table right in front of me. Otherwise, a cake isn't baked. It isn't baked. If I'll, I'll come to the end and be like, yeah, I didn't bake the cake because there was no powdered sugar to go on top. I need everything to be in place. James says, listen, if you have any problems, if you don't have anything that you need, ask God and he'll give it to you. But when you ask him, ask in complete faith because he, he, he'll give it to you. God is telling you that he'll supply all of your needs if you, if you ask him. But the stipulation is that we cannot be double-minded. Um, that means that we have to have a unified purpose. That means that our only, only motive must be the building of the kingdom of heaven. Amen? So that means that we can't be trying to build our own, our own, um, own motives, our own kingdom on earth, because James tells us that the things that we build on earth are like a flower or a blade of grass. grass they wither and they go away. The, the things that we do on earth are temporary. And the building of the kingdom of heaven is eternal because we are working for our crown. Each one of us that works towards the kingdom of heaven is a long-term investor. We are investing into a little after retirement. Amen? Because we're trying to get our crown. So um, James talks about the importance of faith. The importance of what? The importance of faith. So I, I love this verse, but it seems like he goes, goes um, against what he says um, in a good way in the, in the next verse we're going to read. So we're going to move on to James chapter 2. So let's read in James chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 14. If you want to get in your Bibles, I'll give you a few minutes to get, get there. You ready? All right. So James says, James says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man says that he has faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food... And one of you says to him, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give him those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it has not works, it is dead, being alone. Yea, if a man say, thou hast faith, and I have works, show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show, you thy, show thee my faith by my works. Thou believe that there is one God, thou doest well, but devils also believe, and they tremble. But... Wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Now, this, this verse is, is huge to me because it, it lets us know that um, the purpose of having faith is to exercise it. When we have faith and we don't exercise it, we just kind of say that we're righteous in ourselves. It's self-proclaimed righteousness. Um, and the purpose of this exercise is to be whole and complete, but the side of it with faith is just half of what God is trying to do in us. God wants us to, um, wants us to show our faith to, to our communities. And because faith is built on our experiences, it requires experiences to, to build it 
um, our, our faith, as it says in James chapter 16, is justified by our works. Um, faith is justified by our works. So when we have faith, we only have half, half of what, what James says we need to have. But fortunately for most of us, most of us have a job, right? We, we work during the week. But when we work during the week, there is a constant battle between working for God, working for family, and working for money, right? Does anyone find that? Does anyone find that there's just not enough time to do all the things that you want to do? And sometimes I find that working for God comes in, comes, comes in dead last. Sometimes working for family comes as a, as a runner-up when they, they all need to be done together, right? So um, what if we could combine all three? What if when we go to work, we could work for God and work for our family? Or at least combine two. Um, because when we go to work, people are still watching us. People are watching for us to show them a sermon. People, um, people are looking to get a connection with you. I'm sure when you go to your job, I don't know, this is a crazy guess, but I bet the people there eat sometimes, right? Maybe, maybe you could eat with them and get to know them, right? Maybe, maybe the people at work, maybe they like to laugh sometimes. Maybe, maybe you could do, do that with them. The people at work, I'm sure they go through pain sometimes. And they need to heal. And you praying with them could help them to get through that process. What if we leverage the connections that we make in our outside of church pursuits and the things that we're passionate about, we leverage those connections for God? Um, it, wouldn't take, it wouldn't take much at all. So um, I began... I began Looking into this. Um, so I read the Bible, I received the messages, and I began looking into this when I first started, started the US Air Force. I, um, so I would have Bible studies each week. I would call myself a government-funded Bible worker. Thank you for your tax dollars. Appreciate it. Um, so I, I would just work, do church. I would, I would come into work early, do my work quickly, and then I'd go and do church work, and then I'd come back into work late. And my wife would be very mad, but yeah, she got over it. She's, she still loves me. Um, but, you know, I've, we, the church work that I did, um, it helped my family. It helped, um, it helped me to feel satisfied and, and like I was complete because I, I felt like I was combining all those things. And it's not until I was really writing this sermon that I realized that how all the things in my life had, had been connecting because um, earlier this year, I released a book about the same subject, and really it wasn't until I was writing the sermon that I realized, oh, hey, those things, are, they're about the same thing. You know, and um, so I'm starting a job doing this, and um, it's only in writing the sermon I realized that, oh, those are the same thing. So there's a, there's a, a monetary um, reward to combining all, all three of these things. And um, it's very interesting. So 
It's amazing what, what can happen when you let faith and your work combine. And I found this also in the teachings of Jesus. Um, the Pharisees looked down on Jesus' work. They had nothing good to say about what Jesus was doing. Um, they, said, they said to themselves, they said to the disciples, why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? Why does he break the Sabbath? Why does he think that he can forgive sins? Why does he do this? And why does he do that? And if I was a Pharisee, I'd be very annoyed because the Pharisees would talk to, talk, talk, talk to each other and Jesus would hear, right? The Pharisees would talk to the disciples, Jesus would hear. Even times when the Pharisees talked within their own selves, Jesus would hear them thinking. And I would, I would just be annoyed. Mind your business, Jesus. Leave me alone. But Jesus kind of disputed the work of the Pharisees because he went, he went beyond the walls of the church and showed that that's where ministry needed to take place. The ministry needed to take place not necessarily within the temple. It needed to take place at the well in Samaria. It needed to take place on the hill with the demoniac. It needed to take place with the, the, the hungry people that needed to be fed. And Jesus' ministry minimally took place inside the temple, at least recorded in the Bible. It said that Jesus preached in the synagogue, but he went out and he ministered to the multitudes. Jesus' ministry was done outside of the temple, and I encourage you that so should yours. What I'm doing right now is not is ministry, but it's not the full scale of ministry. Ministry is done when you go to work on Monday. Ministry is done when you, go, when you are tired and you're ready to go to bed and your child is getting on your last nerve and you don't say something mean. Amen. Ministry is done when you get home because your family is watching you and, and people watch more than what you say, but they watch what you do. In this verse... Let's, let's, go, let's read the scripture reading one more time. Okay, well, Matthew 9, 13 says, the Pharisees, talking to the disciples, asked them, why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? Jesus replied and said to them, that I haven't come for the well. I've come, to, to come for, this, for the sick. A, a physician does not come to minister to the well, he comes to minister to the sick, right? And in the last verse, Jesus says something that was interesting to me. He says um, that he does not come for the righteous. It's as if he was being sarcastic because did Jesus think the Pharisees were righteous? Did he? He, he didn't think they were righteous at all. So he was... He put up his, his fingers if they did that back then. I don't know. But he, he knew the Pharisees weren't righteous, but he knew that um, they couldn't they can, they can be ministered to. Has anyone ever been whitewater rafting? So when, when you fall out of the boat, they tell you, you know, put your heels and point them downstream, and they say you have to help with the iron rescue, right? If you fall out of the boat and you're drowning, drowning in the river, but you don't believe that you're drowning, you believe that you're just chilling in the water, can someone rescue you? No. You have, to, you have to know that you're sick to need a doctor. And Jesus is saying, 
he's, he's telling the Pharisees to go and figure out, figure out what he means when he says that. And he's telling them that even though they're self-proclaimed righteous, um, they're, not, they're not doing anything. The Pharisees are people who have read the Bible and they are not changed. I believe that we can read the Bible and we can change the world. And there's thousands of people who have read the Bible and changed the world by what they've read. But there are billions of others who have read the Bible, who know the Bible by heart, but they're unchanged like the Pharisees. I believe that when we admit that we are sick and we need a physician, and when we reach out and we help other people to find the great physician, Jesus, there's a huge opportunity in ministry for us. And by not combining our faith with our works, we, ne- we neglect that op- opportunity. I would, um, I would encourage you to be in the church. Because you're in the church, I know you have faith. But combine it with your works. You will find huge, a huge growth opportunity that we're missing out on. So today, I encourage you to Preach a sermon with your life, not with your mouths. Preach a sermon with what you do. Preach a sermon when someone cuts you off in traffic. Let them be surprised how how happy you are. Amen? Because we do that a lot. Preach a sermon when you go to work and your boss does something that he knows he shouldn't and you don't tell him about himself, right? Because that never happens. I'm just joking. Preach a sermon when you are ready to go to bed and your kids are getting on your last, last nerve. Because kids are genetically modified to get on that last nerve, right? Preach a sermon any other time because people are looking at you. And it's a sermon that you show with your life, which is far more, far more efficient than the sermon that you tell. Amen. Thank you.